Welcome to Jyotish Conversations, a weekly series presented by Pujanet, P-U-J-A dot N-E-T, your Vedic resource on the web. Each week we feature a half-hour conversation with a leading practitioner of Jyotish, Vedic astrology. And our goal is to make this ancient knowledge interesting, understandable, and somewhat less mysterious. So here's this week's show, and thanks for listening. Well, good morning, Anne. How are you today? I'm just great, Ben. This is a, a fun thing. I'm looking forward to our experience doing this. Oh, so am I. And uh, we're going to be talking about astrology, history, and culture today, which is, I think, one of your long-standing themes and interests. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's a funny thing. It is something that I've thought about a lot because I have been practicing for over 15 years and in the course of that time I've done readings for people from a number of different cultures. I've also used both the western system of astrology and the Indian system of Jyotish astrology and one of my great teachers who I really admire is one of the great new teachers older teachers from India, K. N. Rao. Yeah. And one of the things he always emphasizes is you must look at the impact of culture when you're doing a reading. You have to look at the time, the place, the age of the client. You know, you're, not, you're not as likely to find a 65-year-old with a marriage combination in his or her chart who's going to be jumping to the altar in the United States. True. Whereas in India, if there is a 65-year-old single person who is looking to marry, there is a higher opportunity. The whole marriage issue is one of those cultural issues. In fact, one of um, the astrologers from India who came over here was talking about how he had to completely revise the way he read charts because in a culture that has more strict cultural rules about behavior between the sexes and has high expectations from family members that you don't engage in a flirtation with someone unless you're serious. Right, right. A marriage pattern in a person's chart in India and a young person particularly is almost always going to lead them to marriage. In this culture, this particular astrologer said, I've learned to say marriage or marriage-like condition (laughs) or opportunity (laughs) because You might say no. And that actually happened with several Indian astrologers reading my chart, specifying a period of time where they all were quite sure I got married. And actually, it was so insignificant that I'd forgotten this entire episode till many days later. I'd had three proposals during that period. That's really funny. Right. 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 Yeah. So that's part of the culture issue. But there's other things that are going on with the whole culture of Western astrology versus the culture of Indian astrology. And one is that Western astrology has been interrupted and lost and resurrected and lost and resurrected again. So there have been many, many traditions and techniques that have been just lost, gone forever although there are people resurrecting ancient texts and translating them for the first time now. So perhaps that'll be rediscovered and in a useful way. But well, where, just, does, where does Western astrology come from? Well, you know, there's, there's, um, that's the beginning of an argument. <laughs> <laughs> Some people will swear that Western astrology came from India. Uh-huh. Others will swear that 
uh, Indian astrology came from ancient Greece and Rome. My personal feeling, which is based on reading and simply a sense that I must have lived then, is that there was a huge cultural mix in the Babylonian region about 300 BC. Hmm. And at that time, these traditions were so rich and the scholarship was so exciting that people were exchanging ideas right and left till we got stew basically right and and what what i do know is that the indian nakshatra system which is the lunar mansions Mm -hmm. there is a different sign for as as most people who look at astrology know the moon goes through the sky every 29 and a half days isn't it 29 and a half and each time it circles the earth it goes through all the signs of the zodiac whether you call them by indian names or western names wherever the circle begins it goes through them all and over the over time there actually are 27 nakshatras with a 28th discussed sometimes but this lunar astrology and interestingly william yates wrote um a poem on the mansions of the moon very aware of this tradition interesting yeah. So the lunar astrology seems to be very rooted in India, whereas the solar astrology seems to be a development that came from other cultures. That's my take on it. Another part of my guess... So the, so the Indian, the Indian tra- tradition is somewhat auto- autonomous, and not, not, yes. and not, not so much a conglomerate, whereas Western, Western astrology is really the... has a number of cultural... Um, ancestors and is is well, much more of a blend. I've got to disagree a little bit with that mm-hmm. because we find in Indian astrological language words like Tajika, mm-hmm. which is an Arab word, right, and it refers to a technique taken from Arabic astrology practice. And then you have words like Kendra. Now I'm I'm not a linguist. Perhaps Kendra was originally Sanskrit, but I associate that word with Greek. Oh, really? Yeah. So when you look at the language mix, you do see different sources of language applied to techniques. And trichona is a Greek word as as well. Now, Mm. perhaps Greece got them from Sanskrit. I don't know. Right, right. But it's it's an interesting question. And And I do think that... There were multiple traditions, and when they all got together and talked, nobody came out with a, quote, pure tradition. Everybody's tradition was, as should be, influenced and enriched by everybody else's. So now what was not part of this big melting pot in the Middle East was China or Tibet. And their astrologies, which I am not an expert in by any means, are totally different. They don't interact. You can't mix those very well with Western or Jyotish. Interesting. Well, I, I found on, on one of my um, uh, recent trips to India, I had visited a site, uh, it's very famous actually, uh, south of Madras, called uh-huh. Mahabalipuram. And um, it's a world heritage site. There's a beautiful old temple right on the ocean. Wow. And um, they still have the docks that um, uh, had been built, you know, ages and ages and ages ago, you know, 2,000 years ago. 
and in excavating them they had found coins from throughout the ancient world. Yeah. Um, yeah. And even, um, uh, and it was very interesting because we sometimes tend to forget just how much commerce there was. And of mm. course, if there's commerce, there's going to be, you know, cultural interactions and the, yeah. the spread of knowledge and traditions and, and, and that sort of thing. So, and in uh, those times, astrology was considered a high art, a high science, not a, an art, but a science. It was highly respected. And so when you're exchanging learning and you're exchanging knowledge from your wise people, this was going to be at the top of the list. Oh, it was essential. Yeah. Yeah. And the other interesting thing about Jyotish is the cultural tradition of parampara, the, the verbal lineage where you study with your father in many cases who mm -hmm. studied with his father and the the rules of practicing astrology are sometimes quite closely held in a family lineage so there's a cultural difference of opinion in are all of these ideas free and available to everybody to use or are these our lineage and to be held private and sacred and so you get many different streams of Indian astrology. Some of them are now coming into the public eye as people are beginning, people in India, thank, thank everybody for this, um, are bringing this knowledge to the West by breaking the bounds of these long-held family traditions. Well, so and certainly, certainly even the existence of a, of a podcast like this um, mm -hmm. and the technology of the Internet and the the cultural interactions that's happening now between the West and the East, this knowledge has spread dramatically in the past 40 years. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, and, the, and the dissemination of this knowledge is going to, um, it certainly is going to speed up, not slow down by any stretch. Absolutely. And I think that's a part of what we're seeing in many, many, many formerly hidden occult esoteric traditions where many of them are coming into the public eye now and of course the internet helps yeah but um and well, then I, I think i think also the the um <clears throat> the tradition uh in terms of the hindu religion has been very uh decentralized yes whereas whereas in the west when you had the uh, the catholic church being such a powerful political force for so long yeah. um if they decided that astrology was uh not good knowledge then, then obviously you're going to have a, uh, I think, as you say, an astrological dark age, yeah, where this knowledge and, and does get had, lost. We've had a lot of them, and the hierarchical top-down versus the decentralized religious background of these two cultures also affects um, the the passing on of a tradition. For example, in the West, you publish a book. That is a stamp of approval. This is an idea that at least somebody has accepted. A publisher has paid money to put this book out. We'll learn it from a book. And that's, that tends to perpetuate the top-down system. Right. So it, it, it gets – it's layer upon layer upon layer. It's almost a fractal thing, how just taking a simple thing like a decentralized religion where all facets lead you to the Godhead – Everything is a part of God. To a, a monotheistic religion where there is one authority, it affects the way you look at science, it affects publishing, it affects um, oral tradition, it affects right. everything. 
But but one of the things that I found interesting about the difference between Jyotish and Western astrology is that one of the things Kay and Rao has done so well is look at some of the old yogas, like a yoga that will say, oh, you will own many elephants. Well, I don't think so in Austin, Texas or in, right. in Malibu. And so he is reframing these in modern terms, saying this is many elephants. This is a sign of a wealthy person. So this is a... Well, they have nice cars. Those drive BMWs instead of Chevys. Yeah. (laughs) Several. (laughs) Big garage, 30 cars. (laughs) Right. But another piece of that, I mean, they maintain the tradition, but they have these things that need reinterpreting. The king, this, uh, the Raja Yoga, it's not an uncommon yoga. Most... Almost everybody has at least Raja Yoga in one of their Vargas. Varga meaning the multiples of charts that come from the single birth chart. But All right, well, let, let me let me slow you down for those okay. those of our listeners who who may who okay. may not have who may not have that degree of, of Jyotish knowledge. All right, so in a in a chart, there are going to be combinations of planets that will give rise and success in life. Yes. And so you but call Raja that a literally means king that will make yeah, right make you as if a king right and your but point is of course looking, that that yeah. that not literally so it, that's exactly my point but yeah. it it was literally so in a time and culture where a kingdom may be twenty miles twenty square miles mm mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And there was a kingdom here and a kingdom there and a kingdom there. This was true in um, medieval Europe, too. Mm-hmm. So in, in early, before, early medieval Europe. So the idea of the word king has had to evolve. And just because you have a yoga that makes you a king does not make you a king or even like a king. <laughs> <laughs> you have to have a lot of them even to be mayor. <laughs> yes, right. <laughs> right. I like to look at the example of Japan and the United States after World War II, where we basically bombed their manufacturing into oblivion. And I'm going to give away my age here, but when I was a girl, made in Japan meant cheap, it's going to fall apart soon. I remember that back in the early 60s. Yeah. Definitely like that. But as... As they went through the 50s and the early 60s and rebuilt their manufacturing system, pretty soon we were getting cars from Japan that Detroit, who had never been destroyed, therefore they had never retooled, mm-hmm. couldn't compete with. Right. So I see some of this continuous tradition in Jyotish and then in the West – I mean, we've gone off on all sorts of weird esoteric. You have to belong to the culture to get the new age Western astrological reading Mm -hmm. because it is so culture dependent. It's based on what's pop at the time. Right. So those are those are two things. Um, There's another kind of culture contrast that fascinates me. And and I kind of addressed this at the beginning when I talked about in India a right. girl with a marriage yoga would always, she'd be getting married or something would be really, really, really wrong. And I found, I have a number of clients in Mexico, highly educated people, um, serious workers in spiritual healing, uh, working with the university in the state uh, to help nurses and doctors learn 
what we would not in the United States considered medical because they are not as bound to the allopathic model. So they're using spiritual techniques like meditation and sound healing and are very aware of the power of those techniques. So my assumption when I went to Mexico to meet with a group of people and do readings would be that they were going to be similar to me in culture Mm -hmm. from an astrological perspective. Now, we're going to we're going I'm going to go aside again. I don't use outer planets. In other words, Uranus, Neptune and Pluto when I read the Indian system. Right, because they and generally a Jyotishi wouldn't. Right. Quite quite a lot of people are doing it successfully. It speaks to some of my lack of flexibility perhaps that I haven't been able to mix it that way. Right. But I do use them when I use the Western charts, and when I do a consultation, I use both systems. What I was discovering is that people in a very top-down hierarchical country like Mexico did not respond to what would be layer life out flat transits in Western Europe or the United States from the outer planets. They can did you, not can you, respond. For, for example, or... For example, when Uranus goes over your sun, Uranus in the Western tradition is quite often associated with rebellion, freedom, breaking the bounds of whatever is holding you back, um, shaking up your life in a big way. And not a single client, and I did about 30 in this session, not a single client responded to a Uranus transit. Saturn was the most distant planet ordering their worlds now that's interesting because saturn is the most is the last visible to the naked eye planet Mm -hmm. and it's to me there's some connection between being able to see something and being able to experience it and then when you move to the planets that you can't see their meanings somehow become more metaphorical. Mm-hmm. So you have to like trust they're out there and you can't see them. Mm-hmm. But if you're ready to take that leap of faith, and if you're not locked into a rigid family structure, church structure, social structure, they can be very powerful as anyone living fully in Western Europe, United States, Canada, some of the more westernized nations. It's also associated with freedom of choice. And until recently, for example, in India, there were only a few major professions. I mean, engineering and government are the two that come to my mind. Right. I think there's another one in there. But in, in the West, there are thousands and thousands and thousands of possible professions that don't break into those. And a system that only has been accustomed to saying, well, you're going to go in one of these three directions or one of these four directions – when they're faced with the multiplicity of a culture with as many choices as the West gives people, choices aren't necessarily a good thing. They can be terribly confusing. But the system isn't going to be able to pinpoint the choice as exactly. You follow? Oh, I do. I do. So in other words, different cultures are going to react very differently um, to an astrological configuration in a chart. Mm-hmm. What what means so is, I mean 
so what means something in you know ancient India when when these texts were first written down is going to be different now using yes. your example of the Raja Yoga which may mean you know which might have meant you were a king umpteen thousand years ago but now might mean that you are a manager at work right uh, <clears throat> but then and also depending upon uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah um uh but then also that culturally depending upon where you live mm-hmm. uh you know here in the US because we we love to be rebellious and to question everything uh you know that makes in a, us in a sense sensitive mm-hmm. to to different planets and and different planetary configurations mm-hmm. in a way that um um other, other cultures places. wouldn't Exactly. Yeah. It's yeah. unthinkable to rebel against family structure. Right. You, you just don't do it. If that energy comes up, you don't even notice it because you have no desire to go that way. Right, right, right. So I think that's a very fascinating thing, and it applies to both Western and Indian. A classic example in Western astrology is King Henry II, whom, mm-hmm. of whom Nostradamus actually wrote a specific quatrain saying, I'm going to quote this wrong, but you'll get the gist, that on a specific date, I mean, the date was to the day, date, prediction to his wife, the queen, that the golden cage would be pierced and the light would go out. This happened to be the day of a demonstration joust. Ah. And the person riding with this great horse with a lance toward the king who was riding toward the other person with his great horse and a lance, and they were supposed to pretend and not touch each other. Right. Well, the unking guy's lance broke and splintered, and the splinter went through the golden grid of the helmet of the king and (laughs) pierced his eye. And the eyes are the lights of the soul. Sun and the moon are the lights in the sky. Eyes are sun and moon. in symbolism so there was the light and the king died if you look at that same chart from a modern western culture perspective it is not a death chart really it is not we would not look at that chart now and say oh this man will die on this date as nostradamus was able to say Mm -hmm. He he died several days later actually but part of that it's very logical We've got far more complex medical intervention systems. Right. We've got, again, more choices. More choices. So in a culture without any medical care, a pattern that would not be fatal in a culture with access to care could well be fatal. Same chart, same picture. Yeah. But it's very culture-related. Well, the culture and, and time related. And time, yeah. yeah history. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's fascinating. I was also looking at Pluto in Mexico. And Pluto, it's, it's, a very, it's, it's an example very much like Uranus. If you don't think of rebelling, Uranus is no big deal. And Pluto oh. is a planet that requires absolute surrender. Mm-hmm. Whatever I thought, whatever I wanted, whatever I thought I needed for security... It's not going to go my way. But if you've grown up knowing that you are not the master of your fate, then it's not a surprise 
<laughs> you know, Pluto right. comes along and says, you're not in charge of this. Yeah, I know. I'm and not go, in charge yeah. of anything. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. Right. So, I have I have experimented um I uh, uh with Pluto in uh uh in Jyotish charts because I don't know any Western astrology. Uh-huh. But um uh the Parashara's light software that I use allows me to include that. And I, what I have found is that it's a good example or it's a it's a good it's a good marker for when karma is very difficult to change. And and so we're we're really I'm agreeing with you. I mean we're really saying yeah. the same thing. Um you know so so if there's you know if there's Pluto in the tenth house of career, um stuff is gonna be happening to a person that involves work and no matter what they do, it's gonna be very, very, very difficult to control the situation. Right. Um I don't I I, I don't know uh, I don't. I don't know much more than that. I mean, I'm really just using it as a that's, means of confirming, you know, some insight. Well, absolutely, and of course, that that's the beginning of astrology is observation, and that's right. that's when you say you don't know Western astrology, but this is your observation. It's what you'll read, and if you picked up a dozen books about Pluto, you'd get that same message. <laughs> exactly, and it yeah, seems to and, bear and itself exactly. out in 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 terms of practice too. Yes, that's so, that's exactly what I mean. You're saying yeah. through experience, you're you're just yeah. you're saying the very same thing, and actually, you're holding out a little more hope than sometimes. You're saying it's very <laughs> difficult to change, right. and um, and my experience with with the work you do with Pujanet, right is that these kinds of pujas and remedies of various kinds, even if they do not change a situation, can make it easier to bear. Well, I think that's one of the great gifts of Jyotish, is yes. that they let you know that life is not entirely, you know, random and, and uh, pointless. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and you can say, yeah, another great gift is you can say, and it will end by this date. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Exactly. You exactly. may be in pain now, but hang on for a couple more months. So within within this context, um, since we've got about five minutes left, um, okay. within this context, what would you say about the Vedic planets of Rahu and Ketu? Because they, they stem from a very specific myth, the churning of the ocean of milk. Yes. Um, they seem to have their, their calculated points. That they, they, there's nothing there to see. And yet they play a very prominent role in Hindu astrology. So my my question is, is there is there a Western counterpart to this? Wow, we could almost do a whole show on this. Um, <laughs> Rahu and Ketu, on the surface, appear to have uh, completely opposite meanings in the West and the East. Mm-hmm. In the East, they will say Ketu is a spiritual planet. And it leads you deeper into spiritual spirituality, spiritual growth, spiritual understanding, whereas Rahu is a planet of desires and cravings in the material world right. and is not such a good place to go. And in the West, here you get culture again, Ben. Mm-hmm. Right, right. In the West, they say Ketu is where you've been, where you're comfortable, and you need to move away from there, get out of your comfort zone, and Rahu is what's unfamiliar and new. You need to go in that direction. But when you look at the the mythology of India, 
what you get with the south node is the body without a head. Right. So this is the end of the snake that already ate his meal. He can't take any more in. So he's either going to digest and eliminate or he's going to be bloated. <laughs> <laughs> and so the south node is where you digest experience which is so valuable in any kind of internal process or spiritual growth or even psychoanalytical process. You have to digest your experience and let go of what is not nourishing. Whereas the north node is the head that got cut off of the body of the, of the snake. And you referred briefly to the story. Basically, the node, Rahu and Ketu, are the two ends of the snake who got punished for stepping in line where they shouldn't have. That's the short version. Right. So well, they drank the, the, they were trying to drink the Amrita. Yeah. And so they became immortal. They became immortal. Right. Yeah. So now we've got the immortal body that can only digest and eliminate and the immortal head who is always hungry because no matter how much he eats, he's never satisfied. You know, our, our mutual friend, Mark Boney once pointed uh -huh. out that, Actors and actresses around the time of the Academy Awards um, very, very often have a Rahu stimulus in their chart. Because Rahu can bring, can bring fame. It's an externalizing thing. Mm -hmm. But I, what, I, and I, I, what you had just said reminded me of this. How many people are ever satisfied with exactly. enough fame, enough money, enough awards? It's such a Rahu thing. There is no stomach to fill up. Exactly. It's so funny. But when you look at the, the two stories, they come together if you look at the Vedic myth to start with. Right. The Yeah, go for it. Go for that big Academy Award. But will it satisfy you deeply? It can't. Right. It can't. There's no stomach. <laughs> <laughs> Well, and I think I think also it, it also I mean it's, it's such a great example of cultural interpretation because we would exactly. say that oh, winning an Academy Award, what a fantastic thing to have happen to you, exactly. And, and yet, K two is the karaka or representative of enlightenment, you know, because it represents the the lack of head is symbolic of the lack of ego. Right. And so perhaps from a spiritual standpoint, winning an Academy Award isn't exactly what's going to get us to that state of enlightenment faster. But yes. it, it, it may well make the time in between somewhat more enjoyable. It would be fun, yeah. <laughs> Could be. But on the other hand, is it any surprise that the West doesn't value enlightenment? <laughs> <laughs> right. Right, exactly. So, But it's changing. Exactly. That's changing yes. too. Well, this is this is fascinating because I think it does show... Um, how cultural astrology and astrological interpretation is mm -hmm. uh, that that um, there are obviously great there's obviously a great value to the to the concept of a tradition of a uh, uh, of a lineage oh absolutely and yet at the same time the opposite is also true that in order for astrology to be a useful tool. Um, you have to, as Kay and Rao would have said, liberal interpretation. Yes. And isn't it fabulous that we live in a time where the traditions can um, enrich each other? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I'm convinced that um, 
the you know the the west and the east and you know an internet and travel and so on but particularly internet mm-hmm. um is going to result in some some wonderful trends over the next you know 50 years because mm-hmm. because I think what will happen is that the value of tradition will be and and the traditional knowledge of India will be more and more integrated into the um, into the U.S. Uh, or or Western yes, cultures, yes, rather. Yes, yes, yes. Um, and I, I think I think uh, you you and I were talking before we started this recording about um, Oprah. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what you were saying, but uh, how, how many millions of people had had re- had watched the Eckhart Tolle shows? There there was a series of ten shows that she did with Eckhart Tolle, who is. Um, very close to being an enlightened being, if he's not one. And he's written a book called A New Earth. And Oprah did 10 shows where people can actually call in on Skype and talk to him and her. And they were all archived. And by the fourth show, they'd already had 10 million people around the world participate in it. And they are now up and archived, getting millions and millions of more hits. The idea that this kind of spiritual, contemplative, egoless teaching is becoming so popular mm, right. is is fabulous. I think right. it, it bodes very well for our future. Yeah, it's a long trend. Yeah. It's a long-term trend, but it's a very, very encouraging one. Mm-hmm. Well, this has been great. If people want to contact you, how can they do that? The easiest way is through email, and my email address is A-N-N-E, that's my first name, at Stariel, that's star, S-T-A-R-I-E-L dot com. Great, and uh, I, I can also say that Anne is going to have a wonderful website soon. Yes, because Be- because we're working on it. <laughs> <laughs> but you have a website now still. Stariel.com yes. is 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 there. But watch for the future; it's going to be spectacular. Great. Okay, Annie. Thank you. Okay. Okay. We'll talk Thanks to you again, again soon. Okay. Okay. Bye.